Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 30 and go through verse 34. So we have a huge chunk to get through. So we'll be in Mark, chapter 4, verse 30 through 34. And there are now Bibles in the pews for you. Uh, We added them back this week as we slowly come back from things. There are Bibles there. You are the first ones to touch them in one year. Uh, When we really think about it, uh, it was this week, a year ago, that everything uh, in our world shut down. Um, No church for, I, I think we were shut down for no one in person for eight weeks. Was it eight weeks? Six, eight weeks? Uh, far too long, um, right? It, and as we recall it, because the past year seems like it's taken forever, yet at the same time, it's gone really fast. And so if we recall back to that, we, those first six to eight weeks when we shut down, we thought, okay, six to eight weeks, we can handle this and we'll be back. And um, well, here, here we are and we're still not all the way back. Uh, for whatever your beliefs are and understanding as to why, uh, I believe that the Lord has done a lot of good through this, you know. Uh, my, for myself, my walk with the Lord is closer than, than it ever has been. Uh, the amount of suffering or, or uh, things, we, yeah, things we go through, trials that we're going through with all of this and, and trying to navigate it, it, it can be extremely frustrating to go through. And, and we think, all right, Lord, one more week and then I'm done. Like, this is it. I can't take it any longer. And yet the Lord in his loving kindness and his patience and in his goodness continues to carry us through right? Day by day. And it only carries us through, right? So when the rest of the world asks us, well, how did we get through it? Well, we're different than the world. Our hope isn't in the governments or the powers or principalities of this world. All of my hope and all of your hope is in Jesus. And so it is because of him and his strength that we have been carried through this. Um, And I praise God that we have done so and that we are still able to gather and still able to lift high the name of Jesus. Amen? All right, our scripture this morning, Mark chapter 4, verse 30 through 34. Let's hear from the Lord's word. It's written, And he said, that's Jesus, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is one of the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them and they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, He explained everything. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us go to him in a moment of prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jesus asked a phenomenal question 
as he's teaching these parables. He begins, he begins his parable with, he goes, well, what can we compare the kingdom of God? That's a, that's a pretty big ask. He, thankfully, he asks it rhetorically, but if we were to go through this exercise with Jesus beginning with this question, I know my, myself, myself, when I think of this, I have visions of grandeur when I think of the kingdom of God. I mean, I begin imagining pearly gates, streets of gold, giant mansions. What do you think of? When you think of the kingdom of God, what do you compare it with? Is it something grand? Something spectacular? Something so tremendous and great, you can't describe it with words. And then, how far down your list until you get to mustard seed? It takes a while, doesn't it? It takes a while to get to mustard seed. And in fact, because mustard seeds simply so visually insignificant. I could tell you I'm holding a mustard seed right now, and unless you were to come and look right directly at my hand, you would not be able to see it. That's the, the, how insignificant visually a mustard seed is. So it's not exactly our first choice when describing the kingdom of God, yet that's exactly what Jesus chooses as he's teaching this parable, is a mustard seed. Now, if we recall, Jesus is in this mode right here in the Gospel of Mark. He, he began by teaching the first parable, which is the parable of the sower, which he gives us the long explanation for here in Mark. That's the first parable he tells. And then he tells us uh, right before this, in verses 25 through 29, he tells the parable of the growing seed. And now he tells us the parable of the mustard seed. All three of these work in conjunction together. They have to do with the soil and the seed and the word of God and how it all grows and works together. And there in verse 31, he says, It is like a grain of mustard seed which when sown on the ground, it is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, the smallest of all the seeds. Not the prettiest, not the most sought after, not the biggest, but the smallest. And as Jesus teaches us this, we, we have to remember this because we sit on this side of the resurrection. We sit on this side of the cross. We have to remember Jesus is teaching before his crucifixion. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God before his resurrection and before the church's birth on Pentecost. In fact, Jesus is teaching at the height of his popularity in ministry. Jesus was never so popular as he is in this moment in Scripture, teaching to the crowds. Yet at the very height of his popularity with the crowds all around him, Jesus knew how very small of a beginning this gospel movement actually has. Three parables. Sowing seeds. You know, when I was growing up in the 90s, 
in, in public school, at least out in, in Texas, Earth Day kind of became a thing. It, it kind of rose to national acclaim to Earth Day, and we began learning about conservation efforts and, and how to start a recycling bucket at home if you don't already have one. And now uh, when you live in a house, you automatically get the recycling bucket from the city. When you only want the garbage, you're, you're going to do both, right? And then we, we not only learn the conservation efforts, we begin learning some education on how to care for the earth, how to be good stewards. One lesson that always stood out to me was learning about the trees, learning about forests and, and rainforests and cutting down uh, of these forests and the canopy, the natural canopy of the earth and how it's, it's just going to be long-term, generationally devastating for the earth. But what they taught in school was a bit more than that. They said, they would ask us the question, when is the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago is the answer. And then they would ask, when's the second best time to plant a tree? Today. Because you can't go back 20 years and plant it, so plant one now. And so it is the very same with the gospel, isn't it? When is the best time for us to share the gospel with someone? 20 years ago. When's the second best time? Today. Today, right now, to go and share it with someone. For you see, what began with Christ and, and was completed and, and was sufficient upon his death and resurrection is the very light that he told us we can't hide under a basket or under the bed that is meant to shine for everyone to see, that it is the very seed, this gospel truth, that we are called to go and sow into the world, into the various soils. There's the hard soil, there's the rocky soil, there's the thorny soil, but we're not to worry about the condition of the soil, for that is Jesus' job. As the tender, as the one who tends to the garden to unearth the good soil for that seed to germinate and grow. Right? The growth comes from God. But we are called to go and be sowing, to be scattering those seeds of the gospel from right here to the very corners of the earth. Jesus also, as he's talking about this mustard seed, and he's talking about how small it is. I'm reminded that in, in the book of Acts, we are told of the church's humble beginnings. The church didn't begin as this giant movement. The church began on Pentecost with 120 people gathered in the upper room. That was the church. That was its beginnings, the 120 there in Acts. But what Jesus is talking about here of the kingdom of God is much more than just the beginning, the humble beginnings of the church. But that, in fact, a small congregation, when we apply this to our lives, a small congregation that is faithful to the Lord and faithful to his word will have a large impact. That the very truth of the gospel, while it may seem to be visually Nothing. When you look upon it, upon generations, it has a mighty impact in the lives of those who hear it. 
For you see, the Lord doesn't require large numbers to do great things. The Lord doesn't require large numbers to do great things. Should we strive for growth numerically? Absolutely. But not so that we could boast in how big we are, but that so we could rejoice in the harvest of the Lord. However, any lack of numbers or dissatisfaction with how growth is going should never temper our expectation for how great things can be done in Christ. We're all here today because a great thing was done in our lives. Because we sing from the depths of our souls, all of my hope is in Jesus. And we sing from the depths of our souls because we know there was a time before Christ was in our lives and we look upon it as just how dark and messed up it was. And Jesus, through his power, worked a miracle in our lives and brought us to him and brought us to the Lord and shined the light upon those dark places and brought us into healing brings us a peace that passes all understanding that has been tested now over the last 12 months than maybe any point in our lives. And it began with a mustard seed. Small things. It's just one person coming to faith. It's one person who's in Christ that along their journey of sanctification is confronted with their sin and confesses and repents. It's one kid who begins to learn the stories of God in the Bible that come to life for them. It's the one. One, such a small and insignificant number that brings such glory to God. For every one counts the same. For every one is rejoiced over by the angels in heaven. Who's your one? Who's the one God is calling you to go sow a seed of the gospel into? Because when the mustard seed is sown and it grows larger than all the other garden plants, the scripture says. Larger than all the other herbs. It grows in that region, 12 to 15 feet. It's noticeable. You know that when the mustard seed is grown, that that's the mustard plant. It says its branches are so big and so strong that birds can come and build their nest and rest in the shade. One seed, one tiny, insignificant, seemingly insignificant seed can have generational impact. Think of your family tree. The exercise we've all had to do at some point in our lives where we begin mapping out, and usually they don't make us start too far back. Usually our grandparents, maybe our great-grandparents. And then we see how the tree just continues to expand and get bigger throughout the years. Through the generations, it grows. Now do the mental exercise with your spiritual family tree. 
What does that look like? How did it start? Who was the one that came and planted the seed of the gospel truth in your heart? And who planted it in theirs? How has it grown through the generations with other people and other families becoming a part of this gospel movement? Where they have found a place they call home and are able to rest. For when the gospel is shared, a tiny seed is planted in the hearer's heart. And at that time, if we recall when the seed was planted in our heart, we were completely unaware of the great significance it would have in our lives throughout the years. But it has just that. And then the Spirit brings it into maturity. And that tiny seed that was planted in our hearts one day becomes a strong witness for the Lord. Dear Christian, the time for kingdom work is now. When's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. When's the second best time? Right now. That's our calling. We must be faithful to share the gospel. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Proving God does really love each and every one of us. That's the seed. That's the seed that allows us to belt out from the depths of our souls. All my hope is in Jesus. Deb, you need to sing that because I'm way off key. She said, she said I'm not allowed to sing. Praise God. Amen and amen.